Good morning, church family. Good to see you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we will be today. Uh, it's good to be back, and happy Father's Day to all of you out there, and I appreciate all you guys for being here and being part of our worship service today. Uh, appreciate also, last week had a guest speaker, Ted Kirsch, came and spoke, and uh, just I think he did a great job, got to listen to it, and just so grateful for him coming. And if you don't know, Ted Kirsch was... Uh, he, he may have told you or not, but uh, he was the pastor that helped plant North Point uh, or send people up from Village Baptist Church when he was there. It's a way back in our church history. So uh, it's been an interesting, it's an interesting story of how I met Ted, but is very grateful for him coming and filling in. Um, so we are continuing on uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, as we're going through. No, we're not doing a Father's Day specific sermon. You'll hopefully catch that real quick because this is not the text I would have picked out for Father's Day. I'm just going to tell you right now. But we're being faithful, just trying to walk through all of Scripture, being faithful to the good, the bad, the awkward, all of it, uh, anything we have in there. And so we're walking through and trying to uh, process it. Uh, last week I was gone at the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, going as representing our church and just seeing what's going on. So it was good to be there in New Orleans. I can tell you I do not want to live in New Orleans. I'm glad to be back. For any of you that's from New Orleans, Lord bless you. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 through 40 is where we will be. And we've been going through, in case you were wondering, uh, we've been going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, but we've been unpacking it in, in themes, if you will, as Paul writes this letter to a church. It's the first time here Paul, uh, Apostle Paul, who helped start many churches in the New Testament, wrote this letter to a church he helped uh, in Corinth and addressing specific issues going on with them. And so anytime you read a letter like this, the genre of letter in the New Testament, you can't just say, well, what does it mean to us? You've got to understand what's going on to them so you can better understand what's going on for us. And so... The past several weeks, he's been talking about worship. When they got together and had worship, what they were doing was, was not really worship. It was just a fun get-together, and they sprinkled Jesus in and out and, and called that church. And Paul's like, you've gotten off track. This is not what worship is. And, and so we've been going through, and he's talking about the different characteristics that, that what a worship service should look like. And so when you see worship, when you see these things, you know that's right or that's wrong, if you will. Does that make sense? And so... I won't belabor, unpack everything that was before, but we'll continue on. Uh, I want to open with this question to set up today, and I ask you this just to share real quickly with the person you're next to. What was the most chaotic event in your life? If you have children, I'm sure you have a number of stories, but take a quick second. If you can remember right now, what's the most chaotic event of your life? Like, that was just pure chaos, and I'm glad I'm out of that. If you're still in it. Again, Lord bless you. But take a second and answer that question. Some of you right now, I just induced trauma back into your life. I apologize. We will have counseling available after. So I'm just kidding. We will not. Uh, 
some of you, maybe your wedding, and you probably should not have said that right now. Lynn and I, to this day, go, we should have eloped. Um, but uh, if you have been Hastings, it might have been up here saying, this guy will not quit talking. He's not going to be in water. Get this over with. Uh, which <laughs> For me, uh, one of the many chaotic times in my life, a lot of it sadly revolves around church. Uh, nothing against you guys or anything like that, but it can be chaotic at times. And one of my most chaotic times in my life, I remember, was the first time I went to Falls Creek as a youth pastor. Uh, took a group of students. I was 19 years old. I uh, had only been a year out of high school. I took a group of about 40 kids uh, to Falls Creek. Didn't think it would be a big deal. Uh, it was absolutely crazy. We went, we took a charter bus, and we broke down an hour outside of Shawnee on the side of the road, 110 degree heat, kids sitting on the side of the road because our buses broke down. Sat there for two hours. Finally got kids shuttled one by one to Falls Creek. Got there about 6 o'clock at night. Because we get there, our cooks are not ready, the food's not ready, kids are running around. I don't have a sound system, so I can't communicate with the kids. Everybody's running around asking me questions. I'm trying to get everyone to settle down and, 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 and just chill out so I can get myself in order. And then a storm rolls in, and I kid you not, tornado sirens started going off in the middle of summer. And everyone's going, what do we do? And I go, I don't know. And so the brilliant side of me, I picked up my phone and called the Falls Creek office and said, uh, tornado sirens are going off. What do we do? And they go, pray. <laughs> so I sat outside with the storm going, had my phone there, and had my pastor's number right there named Larry Sparks. And I'm about to hit call. And I'm about to go, Larry, I love you, but I quit. <laughs> and I'm sitting there holding uh, and, and I made it through, and, uh, you know, I made it through because I'm not the youth pastor anymore. That's why we hired Josiah to mess with this nonsense. Yeah, it, it was pure chaos. I remember being so stressed out and just so much going on. I, I don't know about you, but in my life, chaos doesn't feel right. I, I don't know if you, maybe you're a person that thrives and you love chaos, but I'm, I'm just for me, it doesn't. And I, I don't know a lot of people that do, where they ever go, chaos is awesome. In us, there's something that says there's something that does not seem or feel right about chaos. And, and I ask this, and this question is this, is God a God of order or chaos? Well, what about the Holy Spirit as it pertains to worship? You see, I say this because when I see some people who claim to be spirit-led, they describe worship, it comes across as chaos, not orderly. And I'll say this, as Baptists, we tend to neglect the Holy Spirit and say we don't understand the Holy Spirit, and we, so we just kind of, you're part of the family, but stay outside. I really don't want much to do with you. We want stuff that we can control and manage. But, but at the same time, God gives us direction of when the Holy Spirit comes, interacts in our lives, what that looks like, and there's something to it. And so for me, a lot of times when I saw places and people being spirit-led, as they said, it seemed like chaos. But my questions may be the same question you have. Am I just not spirit-led enough? Is there something wrong with me? Am I not saved even? Is there something going on? And the reality is that's not what Paul will show us in verse 26 through 40 as we look in here. Now, to set up, last time we were together, we talked about worship. Paul talked about this. He talked about worship is a, should be edifying. In other words, it should build up the church. Anytime we come together, you should leave here encouraged, built up, grown stronger in your walk with God. And, and more importantly, he talked about with the sense of understanding or what was talked about in clarity. If you leave here more confused than when you came in, we didn't do our job right. And we can all honestly say with confidence that truly worship truly took place because God should be clear understood and better seen every time we come together. And so he builds on this and understand this is the same 
chapter, he, he builds on not only should be worship, uh, should be edifying and clarifying, but he talks about how it should be orderly as well. So let, let's look at verse 26 through 40, and you'll see very quickly why I would have probably not have picked this one for Father's Day, but we're going to be faithful to the text. So hold your rocks. Um, it says, what then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a, a revelation, another a tongue or an interpretation. And everything is to be done for building up. There's that word, to build up, to edify. It says, if anyone speaks in another tongue, there, there are only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But there, if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. It says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if someone if something has been revealed to another a person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is a, not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, and they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. Is it disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church? Or did the word of God originate from you? Or, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he, he should recognize that what I write to you is the command, Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in other tongues. But everything is to be done decently and order. Can you see why I probably wouldn't have chosen this one for Father's Day? Now, real quick, it, it's easy to get caught up on a portion of the text and miss what all's going on. It's easy to get hung up on stuff. It's easy to look at chapter 14 and get hung up on tongues. And Paul's really not talking about tongues. It, it's an issue specific to their church, but there's general principles we're still taking out. And so we're going to unpack. And, and so the first question I want to look at is this. Is that does the way Paul describes how the Spirit will lead us in our worship look more orderly or chaotic in nature? Does it seem like it's just all free-for-all, what's going on, or is there order to the madness? Is there order to what's going on? Paul's to continue here to explain why worship is edifying and what it looks like. And again, last time he talked about how it should edification looks through being clearly understood. There's clarity in what's being said. Here he talks about more specifically how worship edifies when it's orderly in nature. When it seems like there's order and not chaos, God is seeing what's going on. The, the big idea I'd say is this. Is worship should have order and structure. Now, now as we unpack this, let me just real quick tell you what we're going to do. We're, we're going to talk about this. We're going to read between lines and assume what's going on by saying, well, this is a letter written to a church. If I picked up a letter written to you, I'd have to assume what's going on to you, that they're writing certain in incidents going on. I'm, I'm going to try to unpack as well uh, what uh, guidelines he's giving to them specifically. And then finally, we're going to come and talk about what principles can we take away. So, so let's talk about just reading between the lines some things going on. What, what's going on in this church in Corinth that is causing Paul to address certain things in worship? I mean, if you read between the lines, you see in verse 27 it says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, th there should be only two or at most three each in turn. Uh, and and uh, it seems like he's talking about, there's a, it seems like there's a lot of people speaking in tongues and no interpretation. Everyone's popping up, you can assume, and just talking and speaking in tongues, and there's no interpretation. I mean, honestly, it's just a crowd full of noise and chaos. Verse 29 through 31, you see, not only that, he talks about prophecy. If you have prophecy taking place, he's like, they should not be going at the same time. They should be taking turns, and there should be harmony in what's going on and what they're saying. It should be biblically grounded, he talks about in that. 
verse 32, you also see where he talks about this. He says, and prophets' spirits are subject to prophets. In, in other words, wh- whenever the spirit speaks to me, like I, you can't say, well, I'm out of control. No, you are in control of what you're saying. And it seems like people in there are just saying, I, I can't help. The spirit's just taking me over, and I can't control what's going on. It implies they're not in control, and the spirit's overtaking. Verse 34 through 35, which is the controversial text that we won't get to today, it, it seems like there's particular women in the service that are interrupting service by whatever they're asking him. What's going on? We, we don't entirely know. We'll unpack that more here in a bit. Finally, in verse 36 through 8, we can assume this, that, that they're refusing some sense of accountability. There, there seems to be implying that the Spirit is giving them new revelation, even though it can't be backed up with Scripture and it can't be backed up with what other early leaders are saying. It must be true. And Paul's like, hey, listen, it all comes from the Lord, right? There should be a train that goes all the way back. In other words, here we're seeing most likely it's chaos, confusion, a free-for-all. Let me ask you this. Listen, is this how the Spirit manifests itself to us? Chaos, confusion, everyone doing whatever they want, and just the services running amok, if you will. Think of it this way. Is this how God manifests himself in Scripture? When we read throughout the Bible, do you see God coming in chaotic ways or does God bring order? In Genesis chapter 1, what happens? God saw the earth and saw all there was and there was chaos. And what happened? He starts prescribing and creating order in his creation is what he's doing. If God is three in one, as we say in the Trinity, why would the Holy Spirit be so drastically different in form and nature than God the Father? It almost would make God seem schizophrenic. (laughs) At one point, he's orderly in this, and then the other side of him comes out, and suddenly he's chaotic in nature. Now, now listen, we have to be careful not to grab this too hard and put too hard of clamps on it. But I'm saying there's a balance in what Paul's saying we should keep. And so let's unpack the text here more. What what specific guidelines are we given for worship? Verse 27 28. He says, if anyone speaks in another tongue, there, there are only two or most three in turn, and let someone interpret. But, but if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak between himself and God. He, he gives guidelines for speaking in tongues, which is the specific issue going on at Corinth. They seem to worship people, admire, hold a high status. Anybody that spoke in tongues, if you spoke in tongues, you were more elite and closer to God than the other people. And Paul just gets done addressing, like, hey, listen, that's not how it is. God wants clarity and understanding, and that's not how it should be. And whenever you see gifts start to materialize, you should see this. He talks about being orderly. There should be limited in number. Like God's not going to just have mass chaos. There's control and restraint. People who say, man, I can't control what's coming. Like you, you can. God makes it clear. Like the, the spirits are subject to us in that. Like listen, when it, whenever chaos starts going on, no one can understand what's going on. And, and that doesn't glorify or make God better known. I think of chaos in this service I've had in the past. In COVID, I remember we had kids all in service with us, and Emily and I tried working together to find ways to, to, to make kids more attentive to what's going on since I knew this was challenging. It was teaching more adult things. And so we came up with a brilliant idea that some of you will remember. We decided, let, let's do a thing called sermon bingo. And so we'll give kids all a bingo sheet, and we have certain cues that are through my notes. As kids hear this, we encourage them to circle these words. And when you get a bingo, I said, hey, listen, if you get a bingo, I want you to scream as loud as you can bingo because that's going to be a celebration for our church that you've been listening to the sermon, that you're with us, that you're focusing. Man, I thought it was a great idea. 
Emily and I did not communicate super well because she made one bingo sheet that was the same for all kids. And so as I'm teaching through Ecclesiastes, which can I say is difficult in and of itself, I'm teaching and about to make a point, and I heard, bingo! And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And hey, guys, let's make a big deal. This kid's listening. Everyone give a round of applause. Get excited for so-and-so. And everyone's getting excited and stuff. And, all right, let's jump back in the text. All right, next verse. And I start teaching. And all of a sudden, bingo. And I'm like, okay, yeah, so let's get excited for this kid. Everyone go, go nuts for this kid. And, and yeah, yeah, man, they're listening. And then I start teaching. And I hear, bingo, 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 bingo. I mean, the whole room. And I still judge some of you because half of you were chuckling like Eric's not going to pull his back together. As you were laughing under your breath. And I'm looking and realize I've lost the room. It's the, I don't even know how to teach this anymore. And I've set a precedent before where I've told, I've, I've hyped up these kids. If I don't do it with these other kids, they're going to say, why hasn't Eric made me feel special? So I'm trying to gather all this stuff. Listen, what happened was mass chaos. While it was funny and entertaining, I can promise you none of you knew what I talked about that day. Here's the reality. When, when we have the same thing, say, speaking in tongues in front of people, and everyone's popping up and saying stuff left and right, no one can understand. It becomes just noise. P- people leave here more confused, and they don't understand there's order to what's going on. And, and so someone said, well, what if someone starts speaking in tongues? Well, we have guidelines. If someone speaks in tongues, that there shouldn't be. There should be one, two, or, or uh, at tops that come up here. And someone in the room should interpret. If someone doesn't interpret, listen, then we can say, listen, we're not sure if this is in the Lord yet. We, we're going to have to dismiss this now. But we, we should follow what God's saying here. And so he gives guidelines for speaking in tongues. But then in verse 29 through 32, he gives guidelines for prophecy. If you don't know prophecy, prophecy is a word from the Lord, if you will. These are not speaking in other languages or whatever it is. It's clear language that they would understand. And God is giving a clear word, word for them. And look what he says. He says two or three prophets should speak. And others should what? Evaluate. I love that word evaluate. It implies judging if it is of the Lord. There, there's accountability. If someone says, I'm like, man, God has laid on my heart something, and I, I feel like I need, I need to tell, like, God has given me a word. If they start saying it and others go, I don't think that's biblical, there's accountability to go, listen, this is, listen, we love your heart and your passion. This is not, this is not what we see in Scripture teaching. There, there's accountability going on. There's order, there's structure. I love not only that, you see restraint. Look what happens in verse 30 through 32. It says, but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first person should be silent. For, for you can all prophesy one by one so that every may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirit are subject to the prophets. In other words, you can't say, listen, I can't control myself. The Lord's forcing me to. No, it says you, you can control yourself. You can control what's coming up. I, I love this sort of situation because it teaches not just that. It teaches accountability and humility. If I'm standing here preaching and the Lord gives a word to someone, God, listen, there's some sense of humility. God go, listen, I'm the only one that God speaks to. You need to sit down and be quiet. There's a sense of humility that says maybe the Lord's speaking to someone else. I'll be honest, I haven't seen this in churches like this, but I've seen this often in small group settings with students and stuff. Where I've sit there and been talking and I've been there and, and someone else gives direction. Like, you know, I think God's trying to say this. It takes humility for me sometimes to take a back seat and let them speak and not go, hey, you're a kid, you don't know, or you're what, you don't know anything, you need to sit there and be quiet. But at the same time, I've been in situations where people speak and say, I think this, and it's not biblical. And I have to go, hey, listen, 
I love your intentions, but I don't think God's willing to enforce that decision right now. That's where you stand. And so Paul's given direction. Like, there, there's order, there's conduct, there's laws. And he gives reasons for the order. Look at verse 23. Why, why do we have this? He says, since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Well, wh- why is it? Because God creates order, not chaos. You see it all through Scripture. It's like God is like a composer conducting an orchestra. And at just the right time, he has symphony and, and different instruments coming in the right part. But you know what? If there's not a conductor leading it all, it just is a loud noise and mass chaos. And sometimes the trumpet's got to blare, and sometimes they got to die down to the woodwind tree. And God's directing the law. And when we see God directing the law, it makes a beautiful symphony in church. Because God has already told us earlier in Scripture, we see everyone has a role. And we should allow those to take place. Now, 33 through 35. All right, you ready? Are you buckled up for this one? It gets interesting. And it's a challenging text. I don't care who you are, it's a challenging text. Everywhere I read, they say it's a challenging text for, for many different reasons. One, it's at verse 32, there, there's debate uh, at the end of where that goes before or after. So when it says, as in all churches of saints, there's debate whether that's going at the part of 32 where it says, since God is not a God of order but of peace, as it is in all the churches of saints. Some argue it's actually supposed to go to the next session where it's talking about women. So which is it talking about? As in all churches of the saints, God is a God of order, and we should see that because that's God we see. Or is he ascribing it to the women below? Now, now let's talk about what, why is it challenging. Is Paul really saying women can't speak in church? Is that what he's getting at? And people have used this as a weapon. There, there's issues with this. The first issue, as you see, uh, is what Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. Earlier in the text, which my notes are not wanting to work for this week. Look what he says. He says, every woman, listen, who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Paul in verse chapter 11 is speaking to women in the church. He doesn't say they shouldn't pray. He doesn't say they shouldn't prophesy. He's speaking to how they do it. So, so is Paul contradicting himself? Is he going to a place saying before, saying, listen, women should not speak in church, but yet earlier he acts like it's okay. That's confusing. You have another passage of scripture in Acts chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, uh, they quote from the book of Joel. It says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There, there's another one in Acts chapter 21, verse 9. It says, when Paul was on his way to his missionary journeys, he stopped in Caesarea saying with Philip the evangelist. And listen, it says, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. You have other places in scripture where they prophesy and pray and speak in tongues and practice this. And so what do we do with this difficult text? And I'm just going to be faithful in this sense. I'm going to provide to you four different interpretations that are out there. And I want to share with you and let you kind of just judge on your own. And I will share where I come from. First one interpretation of this text is this. When Paul talks about women keeping silent, they shouldn't speak and they should learn from their husbands. Is this, Paul didn't write it. Some people try to say that. This was added later by scribes and translations and stuff, and Paul simply didn't write it. And the reason they say that is, is not original in the text is because the placement is odd, and even the language is odd for Paul. And so they try to say, well, this is not what was original. The problem is there's no evidence for that anywhere. In your earliest text, you have your manuscripts. This is still included. And often when you find places where there's debate on whether these texts are to be included, there's footnotes in your Bible that says the earliest manuscripts do not include this portion. If you want an example to go look in your Bibles to see what I'm talking about, go to Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 19. 
you'll read in there, it talks about a very odd ending to the book of Mark, and nearly every Bible you have will read in there, it says most early transcripts do not have this portion. And those of you, our brothers, refused to even teach it because they did not say that was even credible, that Mark passage. And so I think it's be careful if you're doing that. Another interpretation is it's exactly what it means as you read it. So when it says women should be silent in church and learn from their husbands at home, they should do that. You need to be quiet, no speaking. If you've got a question, ask your husband at home. That sounds like a bad Father's Day message that some of you might want, but we're not going to do that. The problem with that is this. Paul doesn't forbid women from praying in church. You've already seen where he talks about that. He doesn't forbid them to prophesy. He doesn't forbid them from singing hymns. Those all are in the same letter here. To say Paul's saying they can't speak in church, there's, there's conflict with his own letter. So there's a couple other interpretations. One is this. It's, it's completely cultural. People try to tell you this is all cultural. That's all it is. Therefore, it should be dismissed and not be applied to modern translations. The problem with that is this. In verse 33, right before it says this, as in all church of the saints. And even if you want to dismiss that, right at the end of verse 34, what does he say? As the law also says. He's speaking to the Old Testament, the Torah. So he ascribes it back to creation. And even if you want to dismiss this one, you go to 1 Timothy 2, which is a passage that seems to be clear. It's hard to dismiss these passages culturally. I'm not against having a conversation. I'm not against being said I'm wrong. But those are hard conversations to have because I don't know what to do. And, and so where I fall is probably one of these last ones is this. The issue isn't that they're speaking. The issue is the kind of speaking they're doing. In, in other words, it could be this. It could be culturally here, women had less opportunities in education than men did in, in this culture, time, and context. And based on 35, it might imply that maybe they're hijacking the service by asking questions where they're trying to teach and go through and constantly being raised up, hey, hey, to the point that they, there's no, they're not able to get through what they're trying to get through. I know this might be a bad illustration to connect to, but I remember seeing this all the time in student ministry when the new sixth graders would come into the youth ministry. And when they came in, student ministry often on Wednesday nights is ran much like a service. They sit, they listen, and we, and we teach. And Josiah does it, and that's what it looks like. These kids who come from the children's ministry, they come from a place where there's more often questions being asked and dialogue going on there teaching. And so these new sixth graders that would come in, I'd be teaching, they go, oh, Mr. Eric, Mr. Eric. And I'm like, I didn't know this was a Q&A time. And I'd say, yes, you know, Jimmy, and they'd ask a question. Okay, all right, let's keep going. And I'd keep going, oh, Mr. Eric, Mr. Eric, yeah, yeah. Hey, one time I had a dog. I'm okay, yes, I understand. But this, and, and they'd keep going and going and going. And, and nearly every year I had to take a time pull aside and say, listen, I love your question, and I want to address your question, but this is not the time or place to do it. Perhaps that's what Paul's talking about here, is you have women doing that. For me, to be honest, I believe it's this. And, and, and this is what I think. I, I think their speaking Paul is referring to here is in their authoritative capacity as an elder that's leading in confusion of who's leading the church. In other words, I, I think what they're doing is stepping up and leading confusion on who are these elders and leadership in the church. J.D. Greer says it like this. In verse 33, Paul's saying, don't be disputing prophecies that are given by others and evaluating publicly whether they're from God. Because something that's something that's reserved for the office of elder. And, and the authority of teaching of what really is from God is not, it's the function of an elder. And a woman is not to play the role of an elder in a church. You, you see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3. 
Think of it like this. My wife is Emily. She's the children's minister. We've always done ministry. She is my right-hand partner, and I can tell you, we constantly talk about what to do. And I often seek her advice on stuff because she's very wise. But imagine if she was here with me and she constantly was coming up in service and talking to her to the point that people were confused of who, who's the elder and pastor of the church. Is it Emily or is it Eric? Well, when guests come in, it leads confusion. And, and suddenly people are coming in and they don't know where is the leadership structure in the church, how it is. Or take it in inverse way. I remember a time or two when she had children's meetings and she's talking about camps and stuff, and I've been in that room with her. And sitting, even though as I'm her boss and leading that capacity, she is leading her elephant there. And people have looked at me and asked, and imagine I step up and start taking over a meeting and start talking with some People are coming in who are not familiar or unaware of the church might look at me and say, well, is he the children's minister or is she? I, I think Paul's talking about this personally where it's leading confusion on the leadership of who's leading the church. I, I think regardless of how you want to interpret this text, I think here's the thing I don't think we should get to. In, in worship, we talked before, there's submission to order in worship. Everybody. Notice when he talked about keep silent, he said that to those who speak in tongues. He said it to those who prophesy. He, he said it to the women here. It, it, it's all of them. There's, there's submission for order to take place. And I think the last part Paul talks about here is there needs to be, uh, the challenge is to be biblical in worship. Look at verse 36 and 40. He says, or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritually, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in other tongues. Like, don't stop it. But everything is to be done decently and in order. Paul's challenging, like, listen, we, we need to be biblical in what we're doing. In other words, we need to be leery of any new interpretations that come that are spirit-led that don't line up with Scripture, that does not line up. God complements himself. God does not contradict himself. That's how I think about it. But, but, but at the same time, can I say this? Also, don't dismiss the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll say for us as a Baptist church, we fall more on this end of dismissing every work of the Holy Spirit than allowing it. We're good about upholding Scripture and say it's biblical. When the Holy Spirit presents himself in here, we often say, no, not in here. Paul makes it clear, listen, don't forbid prophecy. Be eager for it. Don't forbid speaking tongues. Allow these things to take place. But do it all what? In an orderly and peaceful fashion. That's what our churches should look like. And, and so you read all this. Let's just get real practical with us. What principles am I supposed to take away from this? I promise you'll be short and sweet. It's this. Verse 25 to 33 is this. It should look like it was planned out. When we come to worship, should it look like there should be a plan for it? Now, let me, real quick, when I say plan, I don't mean our plan. I mean God's plan. Verse 33, what does he say? Since God is what? Not a God of disorder and peace. But if God is working in us through the Holy Spirit, guess what? It's going to look like God orchestrated the whole dang thing together. Worship should reflect God's order. And when I come in, I should walk away with a deeper sense of awe, reverence, and understanding who God is. Why? Because God planned the service. Shame on me and Grant if we come together and plan a service, and it's all by our hands and work, and God's hands and footprints are not a part of it. We should submit ourselves and say, God, what do you want to do? You can tell God's handiwork by design and order. Just look at Genesis 1. If you don't know what this looks like, have you ever seen a kid try to design something versus an adult? I'll never forget my kids when it came time for Christmas time. They decorate Christmas cookies for Santa to get them ready. 
when my daughters were like three years old and they decorate these cookies and I come in and my wife had done some and they had done some and my daughters go, Dad, can you guess which one we did and Mom did? And I looked like one that was a beautiful thing and one looked like, I, I don't want to offend my daughter, it did not look good. It did not take me two seconds to tell you which was the handiwork of my daughters and which was of my wife. See, when we get done with church services, it should look like God's handprint through all over our service, not eggs, not lamps, not other people. If it looks like us and it looks like, man, that sure looks a lot like Eric, then we did it. It should look like there's a plan to it. Second thing is this, it should look like it has an infrastructure. I think when Paul talks about the women in leadership there, what he's talking about, it looks like there should be some sense of infrastructure that's going on. Like, think about this, like, why do countries march in the military and parades and show their might? Is it to show their might and their strength? That's an aspect of it. But I tell you what is also powerful about it, when they come and do that, organizing, organization and infrastructure glorifies their leader. And when we come and we submit to leadership willfully and we submit to what God's doing and we say, listen, God is leading this thing and we're submitting to his order, listen, God is glorified there. God is glorified there. Last thing is this. It should look like it was from God. Verse 36 through 40, when he talks about being biblical, listen, if it looks and sounds like us and it's adapting so much to the culture, to what fits our will and our want and our desires, it's not from us. I mean, it looks like it's from uh, us and not God. Let me ask like this. Does our worship reflect the character of God? Or does it reflect pop culture? Does it reflect what we're seeing culture tell us is right? Let me, let me do it like this. Uh, I think I have a picture do I? Uh, whose birthday do you think it was right there? Uh, mine. Seriously, that was a couple weeks ago. My, my oldest daughter was gone, uh, and so it was just us, and so my birthday. My youngest daughter was uh, getting uh, missing her sister very badly. And my birthday come around, and I walked in, and I could see her just being sad. And the, the Emily goes, what do we want to do for your birthday? And I said, man, I really have a hankering to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And man, Hallie goes, really? Yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, woo! Now listen, I don't have to say what you all know right now. I have no desire to go to Chuck E. Cheese. It is the biggest waste of money. But my daughter wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese. You see, even though it was my birthday, it, it was really hers, right? Why, why do I tell you this? Because listen, a, a lot of times we come to church and we make it a Chuck E. Cheese party and try to pretend it's about God. In reality, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not really about God. It's us pretending what we want. And, and if church really looked like God wants it to be, it would look very little like us and more like God. That God's being glorified, God's being worshipped, and I would prefer this, but this is God's day, not mine. Do, do you get that? And I think that's what he's saying. Like that He's saying, don't, don't miss me. It's not my command. This is God's. But ultimately, going back to our big idea is this. Worship should have order and structure. It doesn't mean we stymie the Holy Spirit's work. It means we have clarity of when the Holy Spirit is working. And so you've gone through this series of worship, and this wraps up this series on worship we're doing. If you're saying, well, what does it look like? Here's what it is. It's focused on God. It's reverent towards God and his people. There's a sense of awe of like, man, there's something more than me that I, I don't belong. It incorporates everyone. If there's just a handful of people doing this, it's not worship. Everyone has to be part of what's going on. It's rooted in love. If what we're doing does not show love and exemplify love to the people in this room and those who are here, then it's not of God 
during his worship. It's edifying through clarity. People walk away understanding, and it's edifying through being orderly and not chaotic. I ask you, listen, listen, how, how are we doing when it comes to worshiping God here? Let me ask you this more specifically. How are you, how are you doing? If worship truly is to incorporate everyone, to look at me and blame completely, listen, I, I have my share of the blame, but you have a responsibility as well. If God, God's going to be worshipped as he desires, we have to follow all of those. So how are we doing? Too often worship services look more like a concert and look more like culture than look like what's in scripture. My question is, if we've gotten off track, will we sacrifice those things to truly worship God? Or we just going to keep worshiping ourselves? What are we going to do? So I'm just going to ask where you're at. If you take a second just to bow your heads, close your eyes, not because it's magical, but just to allow God to speak to you. Anything in your heart that you say, you know what, God, I, I need to sacrifice this thing to you. Maybe I'm struggling being focused on you. Maybe I'm struggling being reverent. I'm not giving you the honors, respect you and others in this room deserve. Maybe I'm not doing my part. I'm not fulfilling my calling, my gifting. You've gifted me to, to help this church. Maybe it's I, I lack being rooted in love. I really have not shown love for others in this room as I know I should. Maybe it hasn't been edifying because we lack clarity and we lack order in what we're doing. What do we need to do to help that? For some of you, with your head bowed, eyes closed, I'll say this. For some of you, you worship the idea of God, but you truly don't worship God. And scripture, the ultimate act of worship for us to say we truly understand who God is, is to do what Ben did today. To come to the point in your life and realize that I, I can't do this. I'm tired of living a good life. I'm trying to be the perfect Christian. I'm trying to do all sorts of stuff. And, and you know what? I don't have to be. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and paved the way. If I come and simply acknowledge this, that, that my sins have contributed to all that's going on in the world that's not good. And my sins are the ones that put them on that cross. And I acknowledge that he paid the price and I submit my life to him, I will be saved. And in obedience, I may need to follow in baptism to make my faith public. Some of you need that today. And we're going to give you the opportunity to respond. And so as soon as I'm done praying, we're going to have leaders available for you to come pray with, to ask what it looks like to be saved, or maybe to respond to what it looks like to truly worship God. But I ask you to respond. So would you pray with me? Father God, I love you. I pray that you're glorified through this service. I pray you'd be glorified in all that we do. Thank you for the witness of baptism today. It points people to the reality that we need you. And through your sacrifice, we get to be a part of the body of Christ. God, I pray for everyone in this room that you start unlocking us to, to fill our potential and gifting that you've placed in us through your Holy Spirit. I pray we step, stop quarreling over trivial things. Start placing the gospel as the greatest thing in our life and the thing that we desire to be known for and to make others uh, aware of. God, I pray every Sunday when we come here, you'd be glorified. Not us. Not the beauty of a service or, or the, the great soundness of it. God, I pray that you'd be glorified. God, stir us to action right now. Each other prayer. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.
we're going to have leaders available. We've got JD, one of our elders, will be available. We've got Bradley uh, over here. We've got Corey and I think Amber in the back. Uh, and Stephen D will be in the back as well. That if you need to respond, you need someone to talk to, just pray for encouragement. When you realize that, look, listen, today's the day you need to give your life to the Lord. Listen, you respond. Don't let fear keep you in your seat of what will people think. As we saw today, listen, this church wants to celebrate with you. You respond. Let's worship.